Hello, hello. Thank you. I'm doing good. How about you? Good, good. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Um, <laughs> to have a narcissism expert, if I do put that title on you. <laughs> sure, I'll take um, it. Yeah, I, when we first met and you said that you work with narcissists, like uh, my interest was peaked because <laughs> usually you don't see narcissists uh, finding therapists. <laughs> so mm -hmm. to have a therapist with a sole practice, right? With just mm -hmm. people who have narcissistic tendencies or NPD, is that right? It's a mix. It's uh, so narcissistic personality disorder is one of my specialties. The other things yeah. I specialize in is emotional intelligence, which kind of leads into NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. I also specialize with uh, anxiety, anger management, and depression. Okay. Okay. So all of yes, all of the uh, very complicated things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Why don't we start um, by just explaining maybe what narcissism is and how it's different than NPD? So narcissism is more of a perception and mentality in comparison to narcissistic personality disorder. How I differentiate the two is both intensity and consistency in narcissistic traits and tendencies. Mm -hmm. Essentially, someone who's narcissistic, regardless of a diagnosis, is solely focused on themselves and getting what they need or want regardless of what's happening around them in their environment is how I would describe narcissism in comparison to narcissistic personality disorder, NPD. That is a mental health diagnosis. It is that they have to meet certain criteria. There's a total of nine criterion. They have to meet five out of the nine in order to be diagnosed with NPD. The difference between someone who has narcissistic traits and someone who is a full-blown narcissist is the more criteria a person meets for narcissistic personality disorder, the more intense they're gonna feel on the receiving end. So if you are in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist or someone in your work environment is a narcissist, you're gonna instinctually feel a clear distinction between someone who probably has NPD because they're gonna show all of the symptoms all the time every day in comparison to someone who's kind of narcissistic it's kind of hit or miss in some moments they'll be narcissistic and others they won't be okay yeah i think that's a, a good differentiator because the word narcissism and narcissist is thrown around very uh like everywhere right now mm -hmm. so a lot of people are coming to me like saying their partner's a narcissist and i'm like i don't i don't know if that's true like you can be experiencing some tendencies you know some of the traits mm -hmm. you speak um but to have the full-on personality disorder is also kind of rare, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, according to the data, um, I think last I looked at a total of six to 7% of the entire population um, have NPD or could be diagnosed with NPD. So it's not something that's common. The majority of them are men. Out of the 6%, 6 to 7%, about 50 to roughly like 75% of those diagnosed with NPD are males. Okay. Okay, so more likely, probably, is that these people, these women, are experiencing uh, a partner that has narcissistic traits or mm -hmm. tendencies. So what are some of the traits or what would be the behavior that they could expect from someone who's got, who has those traits? Sure, it would be a lack of empathy and remorse is one. Um, empathy is how I would describe as recognizing another person's emotions and being able to acknowledge what those are. 
Um, people who are higher up on the narcissistic trend also don't really care for boundaries. If you set a boundary, someone who has NPD, they just ignore it. Mm -hmm. um, being preoccupied with fantasies of power, ideal love, beauty, intelligence, money is another marker for narcissistic traits. Um, a lot of this behavior starts in early adulthood to like high school. So if you have any information about this person's like background and how they were before you met them is another indicator. The longer they've been like that, the higher likelihood that they're running up the narcissistic traits and potentially leading into full-blown NPD. Um, the other marker is being manipulative. Um, people who are narcissistic, the entire focus is on them and themselves, what they need and want out of their environment, be it family, friends, colleagues, work, whatever. So their entire focus is on themselves and themselves alone. So they don't really think too much about others around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I The first time that we spoke, you had um, used the analogy of a chess game, which I thought mm -hmm. was fascinating. Will you talk a little bit about that? Because I think the visual of that is really is really helpful. Yeah. So the thing with narcissists that a lot of people don't realize is they're they're often very self-aware of their behavior. Plenty of narcissists and even those with full-blown NPD are actually aware how they present themselves and they just don't care because they're narcissists. Mm -hmm. And because so many of them are lacking the emotional intelligence, when you take a human person and you remove all of the emotion, all you have is logic. That's it. Mm -hmm. So then you see them often in very logic-driven careers things that have a lot of business planning or strategy. And I relate this to chess because a lot of narcissists will play head games with people around them. Gaslighting is one of the things they do. Love bombing is another example of that. And so they're always in a chess match with everyone around them. But because they spend so much time using their logical part of their brain, they're just inherently and through experience and hours of practice, that much better at using logic and strategy and, and insight into human behavior to essentially outwit, outwit and outplay their opponents. And their opponents is everyone and anyone within graphs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such, it's such an important concept to grasp because these people have been practicing the manipulation to get mm -hmm. their needs met for their entire life. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, they've, surpass the 10,000 hours. Yep. <laughs> and often what happens in in the clients that I work with, they are like beating themselves up because they couldn't see it or they've been being gaslit for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years and they're like, mm -hmm. how the hell did I allow this to happen? But it's like you're going up against a chess master essentially. Exactly. 100%. It's the reason why in uh, the upper echelons of corporate America, you find a higher density of people with showing narcissistic traits and it's because the environment kind of breeds it into those people trying to climb the corporate ladder but also if you look at the at the environment it's all business it's all logic it's all strategy and numbers and money those are logically driven career paths and so that's why we see that so those people tend to end up in those positions because from a young age all they do is practice their ability to be logical regardless of the consequences or the damage that is left behind them. So yeah. when people have also come to me regarding how to not see it, you're just, you have no way of knowing. There's, they're intentionally hiding this about them because they've learned to long before you met them. 
So you and everyone else and probably all of your friends who are now their friends having a clue, because if you take one skill and you have someone learn it for, you know, 30,000 hours, they're going to get so good. It's going to seem flawless. And that's what we see in like pro athletes is the simple mechanics that they do to the outside eye seem really simple and easy until we try it and realize it takes millions of hours to get here. Yeah. This person is that much better than me at this particular skill. And for the narcissist, it's logic and yeah. being able to manipulate people around them for their own personal gain. They've been doing it for for a lot of them as early as like junior high. By the time you meet them 10, 15, 20 years later, they're that far ahead of you and just being able to use those skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. And to them, the manipulation is is as a survival, right? It's a way to get their needs met. Mm -hmm. That's the way that they learned. And it lacks emotion and empathy. So it can feel cold. It can feel really harsh. Um, mm -hmm. so I want to, I want to talk more about gaslighting because that's also a kind of a buzzword. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is experiencing gaslighting, because gaslighting mm -hmm. happens in all narcissistic or narcissist NPD relationships, mm -hmm. um, Let's talk about kind of maybe an example or what that feels like so that we they can have a, an understanding of what to look for. You know you're being gaslit when every time you bring up a, an issue to the narcissistic person in question, they somehow find a way to logically make it your fault, yeah. regardless of what happens. So it could be not taking out the trash, um, forgetting to walk the dogs, walking the dogs without them or anything. So basically, no matter what you do and how you would change your approach, it's always seemingly your fault and it always makes sense that it's your fault. So yeah. that's what gaslighting is. It's basically instead of them taking the blame for their own behavior, it comes around being your fault. So, you know, if you forget to take out um, the dogs for a walk and then they make a mess in the house, the narcissistic person will be like, I'm angry because of your mistake. You deserve my anger and my wrath because you messed up. It was, you had one job today. And they'll find a way to logically spin it so that way you agree with that and think to yourself, I do deserve this punishment because I did make a mistake. That's gaslighting. And that's why it's so fucking insidious because <laughs> their logical explanation like actually could make sense. And so mm -hmm. you and I experienced this in, in the relationship that I got out of too, where it was like, well, fuck, am I the toxic one? Like, am I, mm -hmm. I'm the one who's bringing all these problems. Like it's all my fault. Um, exactly. And it's hard to argue against that because also in the gaslighting, in my experience, you get so confused. Like mm -hmm. they, it's almost like, um, like word salad, or they're just like spitting all of this stuff at you very fast and, and mm -hmm. logically that you're like, okay, that must make sense. That right. Exactly. It goes back to them being chess masters in which they they're strategically saying certain things and they're very methodical. A lot of people don't fully acknowledge it until after the fact, like they will use their phrasing, their pitch, their tone, their rate of speech, their volume level, the specific words that they use and the combination that they use is all up for grabs for them. It's all chess strategy and manipulation. So if they know your inherent weaknesses, like if you're a type of person who's not very good at mental math, they'll abuse that. And if you're uh, the type to avoid confrontation, they'll use that. Or if certain words trigger you to lower your defenses, they'll take advantage of that. So anytime you're talking to a person on a higher narcissistic trend, you are indeed playing a chess game with them. 
and you just don't know it. And that's the problem. Yeah. And really they're gathering data from the beginning to be able exactly. to use against you later. Mm -hmm. And, and when you start to show your vulnerabilities or to share, you know, really sensitive triggers, think they're just mm -hmm. storing that for whenever they need to use that to their advantage. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're getting the information from the second they lay eyes on you. Your body language is up for grabs, the type of clothes you wear, the brands you wear, everything, every little money detail they'll, if they can, they will use it against you for their own personal gain. Mm -hmm. So just even how you smile or what your eyes do when you talk to them, they'll pick up on those little minute details. They're called micro expressions and we all have them. A person who's trained like a narcissist would be or could be because they're using logic to take advantage of people around them. They'll pick up on those tiny details that for most people are subconscious, but they're all they have is their logic. That's what they rely on. So then they'll find logical ways to manipulate you with anything and everything at hand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in the gaslighting kind of experience too, especially when you bring feelings to the table or when you try to set a boundary, that mm -hmm. is why it can feel so defeating to continue mm -hmm. to want to bring those things to the table because they're automatically dismissed right and not only dismissed but they're spun so that you believe that like feeling like you need whatever is too much and it's your fault and inevitably we stop trying to speak our needs and and we kind of just mm -hmm. succumb to what it is mm -hmm. out of i don't even know the right word like it's it's too mentally exhausting to even bring something to the table because it's always so energetically like overwhelming to have that conversation right exactly and that's that's their ultimate goal is to get you to just submit to whatever they want as they want it and need it and that way you don't incur their their ill will and wrath and frustration and anger and so in order to avoid punishment you just succumb because yeah. in your mind they've manipulated it enough and kind of trained your logic to believe that if i don't act in a certain way that's pleasing to this individual i get punished so it's, it's a lot of conditioning is what that is. It's yeah. social engineering is what we call it. It's so crazy to think that people, I, I kind of talk to clients about us living in different worlds. Like mm -hmm. we're on this planet, narcissists are on, on this planet. And like, we don't understand how that works because they are so far beyond any behaviors that we would have. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, it's helpful because this can feel very, very confusing on why somebody would treat someone else like this. Mm -hmm. And part of the gaslighting I think is also important is their ultimate goal is to deflect you, deflect the, the, um, the, uh, whatever your, whatever the problem is, deflect mm -hmm. it back onto you so that they don't have to feel any sort of responsibility or take accountability. Talk a little bit about why they're so incapable of doing that. A lot of people don't recognize narcissists are incredibly insecure individuals. Um, so a lot of them have a trauma background, which feeds into the narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis. So growing up, most of these individuals had a lot of rejection and often had narcissistic parents anyway. So for them, it's how they survive, right? They learned often to be this way by going through it themselves. So in order for them to cope and survive, 
they learn to be logical and manipulative, but because they never really received a lot of empathy, love, attention, affection, acceptance, they're actually quite fragile behind their hard exterior. And so when you pinpoint one of the vulnerabilities or you make it their problem, they're so sensitive that they essentially panic and freak out. And that's when they become explosive. So essentially a narcissist is trying to survive in a world from their perspective that never loved them or accepted them for who they are. And they have yet to get past that. So it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. And really they, they feed on the need for other people's external, like the external validation, right? They, and mm. that's part of the love bombing that I want to get into too, of I've, I've also heard narcissists be sort of attribute or um, explained as parasites where they mm. actually need a host. They yep. need somebody to provide their food, which is their, is the validation. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the love bombing because that's also a very confusing experience to go, to go through. Absolutely. So one of the things about narcissists and particular people with NPD is one of the criteria to be diagnosed is a need for admiration. It's near constant, no matter how much they get, it's not enough. And so because they're so logical and manipulative, they'll pinpoint a target, particularly someone who's more uh, empathetic or flexible people pleaser. And they'll find out all the things that person needs and wants in a partner and they'll become it. Yeah. So then they'll do all the things that makes them lovable, likable, flowers, chocolates, vacations, money, whatever it is that person is disclosing either knowingly or not, they're reading into that information and becoming that person for you. Eventually when they feel like they have their hooks in, and that you're not going to leave because they've orchestrated and manipulated the situation that you're kind of stuck. And then they pull out the rug from underneath you and you get the, the full blown narcissist. Yeah, that's a really uh, confusing experience because you see them in like their, at their best, right? And so mm -hmm. they're almost presenting this false pers persona. You mm -hmm. fall in love with this false persona. That's not even, it's not even them because they're just mirroring you. So you're, you're mm -hmm. really falling in love with what you want. <laughs> exactly. And then when they pull it and they start the other phases of, of um, the narcissistic kind of relationship cycle, it's, there's a lot of like clinging to what it was and mm -hmm. holding on to the hope that they're going to go back to that. Yep. I call that place potential land where yep. we, we like dissociate from our reality and we're like living in this fantasy place of like when he shows up again or when he starts going to therapy, things are going to be better. And, and they never go backwards, right? They never go back to the love bomb days. Mm -mm. No, it's not in their best interest. There's no need for it. They have what they want and needed. Yep. And if anything, they'll just repeat the process with someone else to try to gain more of it for multiple people. Yeah. But once they have your love and admiration and acceptance, then they move on with it. They've won, right? They won. Mm -hmm. That part of the game is over. So yep. talk about the other stages. The, what happens after the rug gets pulled? Essentially, they, they stop caring or even trying. So it's, it's the, all of their natural behaviors and their perceptions, it just comes out in full force. Mm -hmm. So they'll, you know, be, I've seen some become um, or heard through my clients of being physically aggressive and abusive, 
mentally, emotionally abusive, um, sexually abusive as well, because they, they have no fear that anything that you gave them is going to be removed. So then it's just them unfiltered at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then they actually start to discard you, right? Or they start Mm -hmm. to like subtle, subtle ways to really break you down. Mm -hmm. Is that to like, if they're trying to get validation, do they get validation out of making you feel like shit or making you as small as possible? Sometimes it can be because it shows to them their level of influence and power over an individual. And that's something that's also another part of the criteria of having NPD is fantasies and obsessions around power, manipulation, influence. So if they can prove to themselves that they can orchestrate how you feel for when they want it, then that is validating for them because they must be so important that they have this amount of influence over you. Yeah. And oftentimes during that phase where they're cutting you down, they're discarding you, they're not giving a shit anymore. They're also working on another woman or Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm using men generally as the narcissist here, but it could be a woman, but they're working on the next, the next host Mm -hmm. or the inevitability of this relationship ending, or you kicking them out or whatever. So uh, like cheating, uh, all of those kind of pieces come into play after they after the love bomb phase. Really, it sounds like. Yeah, one hundred percent. They're they're always looking to move to the next target. They never really stop. They're restless. That's the thing about most narcissists mm-hmm. is that they're actually quite hardworking, intelligent people. Mm-hmm. And so once they grab a target, do what they need to do, and get what they need out of it or want, they're already planning their next move, probably before they even finish their original move with you as the individual. So they're probably targeting at least five, six other people, sometimes more depending on their social structure. And so they're just kind of strategically waiting and biding their time, collecting information, and then methodically moving forward with their plans. It's wild. I mean, even as even as we talk to us again, I'm just like, how (laughs) that takes so much like planning but they've been practicing so that that is how um so is it possible to like be in a long-term relationship with a narcissist or like have a marriage with a narcissist yeah it's 100 possible whether or not people are happy is a totally different question so one of the things people have approached me with is that very same question like is it possible for me to stay in this marriage and so i relate it to a scale because i believe a lot of things regarding mental health and the world in general is on a spectrum so i will ask a client on a scale from zero to ten and ten being the highest where do you put this person in your brain on a narcissistic scale add a zero to that number and that is percentage chance of you being unhappy so if they say there are five out of ten then I will say it's a 50-50 that you're going to be unhappy and miserable. If they tell me it's an 8 out of 10, there's an 80% chance they're going to be unhappy and miserable. Leaving, right, the smaller number with the odds of you being happy. So that's why I tell people, evaluate this individual, really sit down and think and ask, 0 out of 10, where is this person? That's the chance of me being miserable and unhappy perpetually. So if you say there are two, there's a high odd that you'll be happy and healthy. If you're scoring nine out of 10, it's going to be almost impossible because they're almost at a hundred percent narcissistic scale, which means that there's almost a hundred percent chance that you're going to be miserable and unhappy for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and there's this concept or phenomenon or whatever you want to call it of breadcrumbing, right? That mm -hmm. they, they get you so um, familiar with mm -hmm. like such little attention and love so that when they give little breadcrumbs, you like cling to it. And that one thing wipes out all of the 15,000 other things they did to hurt your feelings mm -hmm. or make you miserable, right? 100%. It's because the reason why this works is that that one thing is designed and geared to have you elicit that kind of reaction. Yeah. So whatever that tiny thing in thing is, it must be so important to you as the individual. Yeah. That it for everything that happened before is just wiped clean. And they know that and they habitually do that. They even do it with their therapist. It's happened to me before where I will attempt to terminate with a client who's narcissistic because they're unmotivated and not really caring. And they sense it and will give me just a little bit yeah. to keep us in the same relationship. It happens all the time. I see it frequently, most of my clients. And when I eventually catch on, I just have to tell them either we fully engage or you find another therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's you, it works with everyone, me included. Yeah. It's, it's um, again, insidious. It's, it's all of their behavior is so psychologically damaging. Mm -hmm. And it is psychological and emotional abuse, what mm -hmm. they're doing. And so I help to like instruct clients and like keep objective, like objective data, keep lists mm -hmm. of the things that they're doing that hurt you and the things that they're doing when they like show up, quote unquote, mm -hmm. to look at things in very black and white like that. You can't, you can't argue with the reality and you, it's less likely that you'll let that one thing like wipe out your entire list unless you stop looking at the list and then that's that's the problem there <laughs> but right yeah absolutely yeah i like that strategy because it helps keep track of what is and is not happening what is and is not real because the, the goal of the narcissist the higher into npd that they are their goal is to create a fantasy that they can manipulate because that's what they're preoccupied with is their own fantasies so they're looking to push that onto everyone else and oftentimes people who are fall victim to narcissists lose track of all of this information and data and reasons to either continue or to discontinue that social engagement. And so by keeping track of it and keeping that private, it lets everyone add up is what is and is not happening, how often and you'll start to recognize patterns because I see it when I do clinical notes with for my clients, after a couple of months of seeing them on a consistent basis, I go back over my notes and I'm starting to see habitual patterns, which leads me to believe that they are or are not, you know, fully blown NPD and how I treat that is entirely different. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's very fascinating <laughs> being out of it now. It's very fascinating, but mm. when I was, so was, when I was in my narcissistic, but he was never um, clinically diagnosed, but all of his behavior checks, all of the boxes, it was such a feeling of confusion. Right. And mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about, where they're creating this fantasy, they're they're spinning you around enough so that you're like, ah, oh, I'm like here, it's all my fault. Like it's so confusing. And so part of what like my passion and purpose is to help people find clarity. Because once you recognize what's going on, that's when you gain all of your power back. Right. So if somebody or when somebody hopefully gets to that point where they're like, I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to see the gaslighting. Like, how do you leave a relationship with a narcissist? 
people have asked me that quite frequently. Um, there's a lot of different strategies out there um, based off of the, the general public, but the one that I like the most, I've seen be most effective is work on setting very firm boundaries within yourself because the narcissist knows all of your boundaries and limitations and has figured out a way to manipulate them without you knowing or feeling it all the time. And so if you're in a relationship with a narcissist and you're trying to exit that relationship, question yourself what your boundaries are and in what ways does that person convince you to pull those boundaries down? I always advocate to find a therapist who does or is willing to specialize in boundary work with you. There typically, there are plenty of therapists, some that I know personally, who specifically work with women who are trying to exit narcissistic relationships, much like yourself, because it, it takes a lot of boundary work to get there. The other thing is, start cutting off communication you know where and when necessary so once you make that full exit a lot of narcissistic clients will show stalker type behavior plenty of my female clients who are you know even years past that relationship every once in a while that ex-boyfriend narcissist will show up either they'll they'll find them through social media is often the most common ground send them you know a dm or something and then they'll use a false name and everything. It's like they're catfishing intentionally for their previous person. Um, so just cut off all communication. There's, there's no need to revisit that if it was that horrendous for you. Yeah. I really love the, the concept of starting to set boundaries because when they sense that you're no longer malleable, mm -hmm. you're no longer of use to them. Yeah. I experienced that in my situation too. When I started setting boundaries, he was like uninterested. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's, it's such a place of like empowerment to be able to set boundaries in general, but like to do them with a narcissist is, is extra challenging. So to have support, I think is, is really key there. Um, to touch on what you mentioned about the stalker thing, um, there's also something called narcissism rage. Is that right? Or mm -hmm. where when you, when you end it, when you like, there's a finality in like the getting validation from you, it can mm -hmm. come into sort of a rage cycle, right? 100%. So it's not a clinical term, but it is, it is well-spoken about. So essentially I like to think of most narcissists as kids who just didn't grow up and ended up becoming adults through time. So if you look at the, all of their behavior and think of like a child who, you know, is just too young to really understand social concepts, most children are inherently narcissistic, but it's expected because they're kids and they're trying to survive. And it's the parent's job to not only reinforce positive behavior, but to unconditionally give to that child. So essentially an adult narcissist is going to throw a fit it's essentially what's happening and so all of that sense of rejection and loss and you know any abandonment or any um, flashbacks of trauma from previous time that will cause what i call just explosive behavior in which they'll they'll be even more unpredictable than normal and that's when there's a chance of hostility aggression um, you know, more victimization of the person involved. And so I've always, you know, coached clients who are trying to exit, be like a narcissist, like plan this out, like use your logical brain 
to figure out how you're going to you know, separate the finances, when you're going to move out, where you're going to go, who you're going to be with. Don't do this alone. Have a support structure. Get a therapist. You need to start playing a chess match with this person, not with the intention to win the match, but to exit the match unharmed. <laughs> Sorry, I have dogs. <laughs> not only to be but also they threw out a bunch of like hail mary almost messages again or how much they miss you or send pictures of your relationship and like that can be really confusing fully in your logical mind mm -hmm. because part of and correct me here but part of their goal in that would still be to hook you back in right 100 yeah their, their goal is to always get something from a situation that that's their one and only real focus it's it's the they're narcissists their focus is on themselves it's about their own ego so whatever it is that they're up to or doing that's their game plan is to just get something for themselves for it yeah so as much as possible when you're thinking when you've made your decision to words around you to stay very logical and then to go no contact is really the easiest way right to like block them everything block their number don't engage don't even look at what they're sending you to for the potential of them sucking you back in emotionally 100 yeah i've always told clients if you're trying to exit you know once you commit to that exit plan you just got to break it off like they never existed get rid of anything that you have from them anything that can be used to find you later um you know set higher privacy settings on all of your social media things like that. So they can't just keep tracking, keep tracking your, your tags and your posts and everything that you're doing. And just why revisit that? If it was, you know, you're exiting for a reason and just remember that there's no, nothing good will come from it because they're not going to change on their own. And you're never the person to change that. Um, me being a therapist who specializes in this, it takes me years to get that person to make enough changes for me to say you're no longer a narcissist. And I am a person who comes with like a lot of education and background and expertise in it. Without that, all of that concrete knowledge that I have, like you're gambling constantly and they know that and they're playing the odds in their favor. And so unless, you know, you are looking to train that way to become, you know, have that level of expertise, don't try to change them. They're going to let you think you, that you're having an impact just to just pull the rug out from underneath you and start this all over again. Yeah. Also, one of my favorite, uh, no, that's not even all the right word, but another trap that clients fall into is they will attacking them on social media and see them with their new friend, how happy they are and how well he's treating her and forget that that's actually the love bomb phase and that that phase will end. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remembering that like they aren't a different this is just a different part of the cycle with a new woman. Yeah. And so it, it's a never ending cycle for them that that's part of their own issue. Essentially that leads them to essentially long-term have no one um, because all the clients that I get that are narcissistic, they come to me because there's almost nothing left for them. They have burned all the bridges they can regarding their social environment, their professional environment, 
Um, a lot of them come to me because they're getting ultimatums from their current partners or their partner gave an ultimatum. They figured it was a bluff and then it wasn't. And because they, they never really stop that behavior until they learn to address their own emotions, it's just a never ending cycle. And for them, it, over time, it becomes automatic. That's the thing. It's this is how they naturally are. So then them developing empathy, care, respecting boundaries is foreign to them. And whenever you're trying to learn something that's unfamiliar to you, it takes a lot of effort and time. And so for a narcissist, especially the older they are, the, the harder it is for them to reverse all of that behavior and training, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to touch into, so if, let's say the woman is married, they have a child and they're like going no contact is not an option for them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about gray rocking and sort of what that is and how, how that works, how to do it. Yeah, so you, the goal with gray rocking and essentially what that is, is controlling your own reactions, both physically, mentally, and emotionally to not give any kind of response or information to the narcissist. And so you would have a, a very flat affect is what we call it. You're very monotone, flat. You don't really raise or lower your pitch or your tone ever changes. You're kind of just like a robot. Everything's very mechanical and unemotional. What that does to the narcissist is that they can't read anything because there's there's nothing. You're not giving off any signals, so they don't know what to do with it. It will cause a sense of like explosive reactions because eventually they will become frustrated that they can't no longer manipulate your your behavior and reactions. But if you're in a position in which you have to interact with a narcissist, be it like your boss, um, you know, a past relationship that you share uh, custody of a child with your best go-to is to just be as mechanical and robotic as you can because the second you give any kind of reaction even if it's like minor like raising your eyebrows just a tiny bit they're going to pick up on that and take advantage of it so you don't want to open the door in any way you want to minimize communication as much as possible but then if you have to communicate don't open yourself up for anything in any capacity yeah. Yeah. To approach it in a very logical, I like the word robotic. I think that's easy, like easy to sort of embody, mm -hmm. um, which can be hard for people who typically get wrapped in relationships with narcissists because you're usually pretty empathetic and pretty uh, like an emotional being. Um, mm -hmm. So it's almost like putting on a costume or like playing a role specifically with that person. Yeah, essentially you fight narcissism with narcissistic behavior. You have to be intentional, methodical, you know, strategy, logic. You have to have an end goal in mind and work towards it. Yeah. And that's hard for a lot of people because that's not how most individuals naturally are. We are inherently empathetic and emotional creatures. And so that's not normal for us to behave that way. But if you really think and understand a narcissistic person, how else can you survive that interaction and engagement without acting essentially somewhat like them yeah yeah to keep yourself out of the cycle <laughs> exactly yeah because that's what it is they'll trap you in a cycle and you're just locked there until you decide to leave yeah yeah yes um one of the other questions or i guess like when when some of my clients are arguing with themselves on whether they're a narcissist or not it's like, well, he's not like mean, like 
I think there's some attention around like a malignant narcissist, which is like mm -hmm. outwardly trying to cause you pain. Mm -hmm. But there are other types of narcissism, right? And that can present in different different ways. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. So clinically speaking, as far as like a mental diagnosis, it's pretty black or white. Either you meet the criteria for NPD or you don't, or you're somewhere on the spectrum of like narcissism. Yeah. So when people discuss these other types and the research I've done, what I've really seen is there's not a complete consensus on the number of types or even how they present or what what the label is. The most common ones is covert, um, malignant, um, seductive, or sexual are the three that are almost always there. What I see narcissistic clients is all of those types because from my brain, it's all a strategy. And so they might not be mean when you're there, but they're being mean to other people or they're doing it in ways that's extremely subtle because they're just particularly good at being mean and yet subtle. So for me, I've seen it all with my clients and it's all a strategy according to the situation. So when people discuss like different types, um, I say it's not really that's how they are all the time. It's more of that's the strategy that's working right now. When that strategy ceases to work, they'll change it up, which is what I've seen. If, I, if they're trying to be um, really manipulative but subtle, I'll challenge and call them out on it. And the next time I see them, they have a more overt, you know, engagement with me. If I challenge that, then they'll, you know, if it's different genders, they'll try more seductive route. And so that's, they're just using all those types as really as like, what strategy is working here? Just like in chess, people who know chess know that there's, there's names for all of the strategies. It's just what's happening right now and which strategy is going to work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because outwardly, they could be in positions where like everybody loves them and mm -hmm. very charitable or like it, outwardly, they could look like the best fucking person on earth, which is all part of the strategy. Yep, exactly. Yeah, their, their strategy changes according to what's going to work in their environment and what has failed so far in their environment. Yep. So when people look at these different types, even if you go Google narcissistic types, what you're going to see in common ground between all of them is it's all narcissistic behavior. It's focused on their own ego, regardless if they're being coy about it or just being blunt about it and open, or if it has to do with spirituality or being seductive. The one thing that, that um, stands out with the types is the malignant type of narcissist in which people describe it, even within my field, people describe it as a combination of narcissism and antisocial behavior. And so what that what really happens is narcissists alone lack empathy they lack remorse and emotional acknowledgement every once in a while you'll get an individual who's also antisocial in which they don't conform to any kind of boundaries within society narcissists do they'll follow the law if that's what's in their best interest otherwise they'll break it but someone who's antisocial has no regard for any boundary of any kind and they're focused on themselves, which means that they lack empathy. And that's when we get this malignant type. Also closely related to psychopaths and sociopaths, people who are like serial murderers. That's what this comes from is there's such little acknowledgement for boundaries and a lack of emotional response that they're highly volatile and dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that was my experience. Um, I would diagnose him as malignant narcissist and to 
to experience that behavior was so bizarre because not only was it the complete opposite of the person that I thought I had been with for four years, but it was like going out of his way to cause me pain, which, you know, psychological pain, emotional pain, um, feeling, you know, threats of physical safety, all of, all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was very overt to the point where like, I was explaining what was happening to me, to my friends. And they're just like, this is not the same. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and it was almost discounting what I was actually experiencing. Cause they couldn't like mm -hmm. get around how they didn't see it. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's what narcissists do. They set up a fantasy for everyone involved that benefits them and them alone. And so if they're trying to keep a particular target being you, the individual, they also know they need to manipulate everyone around you. So that way, if anything happens, you don't have a fail safe, you don't have any backup and you're the person who's not believable because they have set themselves up as the person with credentials and reliability. And that's, that's all intentional. They essentially methodically went person by person and set that up, you know, sometimes years in the making, because that's just what they do. Wow. And when things don't go their way, there's the chance that they become explosive. And that's when you see their true nature and how they operate when nothing's really working. And so that malignant type is essentially a person with no emotional regard, no care or fear or concern for boundaries. So then if, if an individual who's inherently focused on themselves has no limitations, why not take it to that extreme? Because that's going to benefit them. It doesn't matter about you or anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I also think two kind of red flags that you can look for is, is one, if, if they're starting to isolate you, like you're talking about, where they're, mm -hmm. they're manipulating everyone around you so that you slowly, 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 like don't have any friends or family that you can lean on or that believe you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then another red flag, I don't know if this is true of all narcissists, but they don't typically have longstanding friendships, right? Or have sort of uh, like people come in at different phases of their life and then they discard them too. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Most, most don't maintain long relationships because of their behavior and how they are. Eventually people will catch on or become sick of it and just vacate. They'll, they'll leave their relationship. Um, one of the clients I work with actually is not a narcissist, but his friend is. And finally, after about five plus years, he's decided to end that relationship permanently because of the narcissistic behavior. So one marker is what does their social environment look like? How long lasting are those relationships? You know, how far back do those things go? the less information there is there, then that is a red flag because most people have at least one person who's been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know that that was a red flag to look for when I was looking. I actually wasn't looking for red flags, <laughs> but I hope that clients are and people who get to experience, um, you know, this video and your work and, and learn more about narcissism have more tools at their, at their disposal to be able to to help avoid getting into these situations in the first place. Um, Cause it's kind of inevitable that we're gonna come across people where like, even if you've done all your healing work and are exceptionally boundaried, like you might still get sucked into mm -hmm. something, right? But it's, mm -hmm. it's a matter of recognizing it and then leaving quicker. 100%, yeah. I mean, these people, the, the interesting thing about narcissism and all of the data that's out there is that it's almost inherently inaccurate because most narcissists 
they're so crafty even to the professional eye that not all of us catch it and so how many of them are willing to admit and then be be become part of that statistic that you know professionals like me rely and report on and so I've met plenty throughout my life, probably because I'm just more attuned to it being, you know, mental professional, and this is what I focus on. Um, but even people who've, you know, like you said, done the healing process and went through everything to re-secure themselves as an individual, as long as you have a job, you're always at risk to to run into one because they're everywhere, and you can't always, you can't, you, they don't really look a particular way, but they feel and behave in certain ways, but they're always trying to hide that so even if you don't acknowledge it like there's at least one around you somewhere especially if you're not fully remote you're there's at least one narcissist in your entire office company there, there's no way that there's not the, the data won't it add up whether or not you're a target depends and so if you're not a target you just don't acknowledge it because they don't want anything from you or what you have is not something they care to get but it only matters when they choose you and that's when everything starts yeah, that's where the being really boundaried and confident in yourself comes in because then you're you're less appealing to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to touch on what you just said about the feeling. Like mm-hmm. I talk to my clients about having, after you've been through an experience with a narcissist, you have an internal alarm system. Mm-hmm. What that behavior felt like. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a room of people and you start to feel like you can't, maybe you can't name why you don't want to talk to that person or name what feels like icky. But that's mm-hmm. you're like, hey, this is familiar. Pay attention. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I've seen this a lot with people who have gone through that experience and have eventually come to a place of just feeling confident and have healed. And um, I, I tell people this as as a joke, but it's somewhat true. Like I, I can smell someone's mental health. Like I can just smell it. What's really happening is my subconscious is trying to signal something for me, and that informs my decision making. So if you have um, a lot of experience with uh, addicts, you could just pick up subconsciously someone who is or is not struggling with substance use. So if you have a lot of experience with narcissists, it's the exact same way. So I always tell people, trust your instincts because your, your brain and body is designed to keep you alive no matter what. And so we often get these signals like something's off I don't know. I don't really care for this person. Something creeps me out, but I don't see anything. Yeah. Do you need to though? I, I challenge my clients on that. Do you have to have concrete evidence to keep yourself safe? What are you saying if you say, no, I don't need concrete evidence? Like you're, you're being unnecessarily risky. So then you don't need the concrete evidence. Just trust your gut, trust your instinct. And if you have previous experience, trust that. If something is just like off-putting, that is your subconscious trying to scream at you and say, hey, get out. Yeah. We see it. You don't see it. But that part of your brain's like, we need to leave now and just forget this place. Never come back to this coffee shop. Never talk to that guy's face again. Leave. Never come back. It's okay. We'll get coffee somewhere else. Yeah. yeah it's like your body's non-biased. You know, it's just giving, giving data. It's like, hello, mm-hmm. you've done this. It's almost, it's more trustworthy than our mind because our mind will talk ourselves out of it or rationalize around it or or whatever we're doing like because emotion and heart take over sometimes exactly yeah i always tell clients trust trust your instincts if you have the experience it's what's the worst is going to happen if you you trust your instincts you stay safe you stay happy and comfortable 
I mean, you're risking a lot with, you know, because you feel like you're being irrational because it's a hunch. I say that, that sometimes being irrational is what keeps people safe. You know, you don't need the concrete evidence and no narcissist is going to tattoo it on their forehead. I'm narcissistic. Like you're not going to know until after the fact anyway, why chance it? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if for some reason, and, and again, going back to the inevitability of like getting sucked in for a minute or Mm -hmm. a little while, right. It's like, look for the red flags, look for their inability to take accountability, look for the gaslighting, look for, you know, everything being centered around themselves and needing validation. And what happens when you set a boundary? Do they respect it? Is there open communication or is it like, that's your fault? You know, there's the red flags, I think are a big, big part of staying sane in people you're meeting. 100%. Yeah. If you're trying to invite someone into your life and you're not entirely sure and you've had negative experiences in the past, test it. You don't always have to be so blunt about it. Specifically with narcissists, test their level of empathy. Set a boundary and see how they respond. You know, check out their social network. Try to get to know their friends. Are, you know, are they of like mind? How have their experiences been? What, What are they like? Test the waters always, you know, and if, if you're not really getting clear messages one way or another, then just trust your instincts on that and just move forward with that. That's all you really need. Yeah, I think that's extra important in dating also. And I can speak to like myself and my clients are fucking terrified of getting into another relationship, right? Because they're like, mm-hmm. I'll do that again. <laughs> um, and so using the, the dating process as a way of, again, gathering data testing the boundaries, like, can they show up to a conversation? Is it this too good to be true? Like, let's go to Bali after knowing each other for two weeks, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's some things that you can see through the love bombing. um, Because also during the love bomb phase, if you tried to set boundaries or speak about something real, it, it wouldn't, it still wouldn't go well, right? Even, even though you're in that sort of euphoric place. Yeah, yeah. Several clients of mine right now, actually, um, younger women who've who've gone through the narcissistic relationship and are you know feeling ready to date again. I've brought this up recently. Is how do I avoid finding another narcissist and repeating this process? And part of the scary truth is you might not have, you might not be able to because they're they're crafty and always changing. You know their strategies and how they approach and manipulate. The best thing you can do is set up, you know, a strategic defense. What is your criteria for selecting, you know, a dating person? Yeah. Where do you find these people? You might not want to, you know, date people in professional settings all the time because you're the higher up you go in a company, the more likely they are to be a narcissist. So that's one thing to consider. Or is it always bars where you're likely to find a narcissist because they're trying to take advantage of someone who's not completely coherent anyway. And so, you know, set things up in public, trust your instincts. What, what kind of signals do you need to see in order to even take the next step forward? If you don't see them, they just, you know, contemplate. If I don't, if I can get the list of things I have to have to feel safe checked, if I can get all of them, is it worth taking a chance knowing what's possibly out there? You know, it's, it's why people, you know, are scared of the ocean. You don't really know what's there yet. We know things can be harmful, they can also be beautiful, but it's kind of uncontrolled and we can't see everything. And that's what dating feels like. After you've gone through that experience, it's like you're just diving into the ocean, hoping 
you find a dolphin, not a shark. I think another um, thing to be aware of when you're dating is to not reveal all of you in the very beginning, because mm -hmm. part of building trust with someone is like, I'm a little vulnerable with you. And then you're a little vulnerable with me. And, and it builds, right? You build sort of levels of things you're willing to share, or you don't dive into all your traumas on the first date. And I think sometimes part of a narcissist strategy is to trauma bond. So mm -hmm. they make they almost make you reveal all of your stuff because they're holding it, mm -hmm. forever, but also so that they can be the savior for all of your stuff. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's a very effective strategy, particularly for people who have a lot of trauma and it's kind of apparent. Um, it's something I see in people as well, but because I'm a therapist, like I can just tell the behaviors and the reactions to how I present myself, if there's a sense of trauma there or not. Yeah. Narcissists, some of them, um, will target people with higher rates of trauma. Um, and so that's the reason why those same individuals are more likely to have repeat narcissistic relationships. It's because they're being targeted by the narcissist disclosing their trauma, giving a lot of information, and then the narcissist then manipulates everything to their own benefit, re-traumatizing the same person over and over again. Yeah. yeah. In order to build a relationship with someone, you don't have to disclose everything about you all at one time. In fact, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, the feedback or the um, comeback that I get from clients around that is like, well, I want to be genuine. I want to be authentic. I want them to know who I actually am. And I, I caution them of even if it's not a narcissist, like that's, that's something that someone has to earn. Someone has to like prove that they're trustworthy to be able to hold that information. And so mm -hmm. thinking about your traumas and, and what makes you you as these little gems that like, as they get further in the levels, they get to access more gems. <laughs> right. I've always told clients trust is something I believe it should be earned, not given. Um, I, I totally re you know respect and, and validate wanting to be authentic and true to yourself and genuine because that does build healthy relationships. I would say if you're concerned about running into someone who's going to take advantage of it, have a system for that, have a method, you know, be it gems or levels or layers, whatever it is you got to do, you have to find ways to filter out behavior, which is where I say in order to protect yourself from a narcissist, you kind of have to be like one and adopt some that mentality is what can you do to gain some information to see, is this person safe? Are they having a narcissistic response right now? Cause I set a boundary. Maybe I'll just set one and see how they respond. If they respond by just respecting it, that will tell you how they are. But if all of a sudden they're acting slightly different or being a little bit more aggressive, it's like, whoa. Yeah. If I can't even set a boundary with you, we barely know each other. I don't think I even want to see you again anyway. Yeah. And not discrediting the data is so important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so important. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Is there anything else that you think is really important to know or to speak about before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I think we've covered everything. I think what I would want most people to know who've had negative interactions with narcissists is don't blame yourself. It's, it's not your fault that it, you know, the trauma or the pain or the guilt happened. These people are trying to get that response out of you. It's not something you did wrong. It's really a chance. I mean, 
<clears throat> not that many people are high enough on the narcissistic scale to for to be called narcissist or have a diagnosis so the odd you meeting that person is still relatively low the threat is always there but if it ever happens or already has happened their goal is to make it your fault and so by you saying you know how did this happen to me in hindsight like what did i do wrong like that's them that's that's the narcissist speaking not you what you need is to just have acceptance and forgiveness for the fact that you did your best with what you had and it didn't work. Yeah. And that's all you really can do. Yeah. Yeah. That in, in a, like in effect, feeling guilty and shameful about it is actually letting them win mm -hmm. ultimate win. Right. Cause yeah. I really see the win. If we, if we need to categorize a win, like you saw what was happening and you got out, like that is, that is the win you win. Like, mm -hmm. To consistently give yourself kindness and compassion and like hindsight is always a bitch because we always yep. can see things more clear now so to let yourself heal let yourself grieve let yourself move through the trauma of what happened without adding another layer of shame on top of it yeah if, if anyone takes one thing away from this whole experience is don't ever play chess with a narcissist they're they're they spend way too much time in their own head practicing maneuvers and strategies and memorizing things they're very good yeah. so if you think you're caught in a chess game with the wrong person your strategy to win is to exit that game and just move on yeah yeah and not get sucked into all of the manipulation that they want you to feel and experience to keep you hooked in 100 percent, absolutely ah uh, james I am such a big fan of you. I think <laughs> the message that you have and the way that you work with not only narcissists, but also people who have been in relationship with narcissists is so vital. Um, mm -hmm. Really, really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your time and just allowing me to record this for my clients who really need some understanding around what, what this is. <laughs> My pleasure. I like doing stuff like this for free. It helps get the message out. It helps people who need resources. That's what I'm all about. So, I mean, the pleasure is really all mine. And for you, um, keep up the good work. I hope you're proud of yourself. I know I'm proud of you and what you do. And lots of people need individuals like you to, to care and to help. <clears throat> and power to you and power to the people who are willing to take this message and find growth and healing from it. Thank you. Do you want to share your website or anywhere that people can find you if they want to connect further? Absolutely. So my private practice name is Morning Coffee Counseling. Okay. Uh, the website is the same, morningcoffeecounseling.com. My name is James Marugo. Uh, pleasure to, to be able to do this with you. And if any of you need help, I do offer free 30-minute consultations. So even if I'm not the right fit for you, I'll have enough information to help you find the therapist you need. And I do all of this free of charge because it's about getting people to the right professionals for health, healing, and growth. So at the very least, take up 30 minutes of my time. Let me get to know you and see how I can help you just have the quality of life you're craving. Amazing. And one other thing, do you have any um, recommendations for books or podcasts that can also be that I know there's a lot out there. So are there any favorites that you have? Not particularly reason being um, very few are, are centered around like the mental health component of what I understand. Um, and I think one that 
some of the information that's missing out there in narcissism in general is more of the science behind how they operate. Um, there's plenty of information about what it's like to be with one, how people have healed and, and grown. And I think those books and podcasts are wonderful, but there's not a whole lot of people professionally having podcasts about the psychology of a narcissist um, in order to really bridge the gap between what a narcissist really is, which is part of what we did today is what is narcissism? What's narcissistic personality disorder? What it's like to be on that scale? Um, so I don't have any recommendations as far as understanding narcissism because it's mostly really boring textbooks no one's going to read. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think I vote you in to start the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that under advisement. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, James. Thank you so much. Absolutely.